0: Hello everyone welcome back to the state of the arc podcast my name is mike my name's kason today we're going to be talking about pacing uh, what makes good pacing how do you write a story or create a story and pace it in a way that will keep people engaged it's a it's a very difficult topic i've been thinking a lot about it and it's it's not it's not easy to nail stuff down there's a lot of subjective sort of um it, it, there's be a, it's mostly going to be opinion not a whole lot of, like, standard practice. But there are some things. Before we get into that, uh, there was some uh, interesting stuff in the news this week. Um, first of all, I haven't seen this yet, so I can't attest to it. This was shared with me during my streaming of um, my creation for the Terranigma uh, retrospective, which is going up tomorrow, by the way. Um, so look for that. If you're watching this podcast on YouTube later, it would have come out two days ago. So go to the main channel and watch the Terranigma review. I'll put it like as a pinned comment or something. So you guys can follow it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, let me, uh, get over to this though. There was a, there was a behind the scenes video series, basically like interviews with final fantasy nines creators. um, <laughs> called mm-hmm. Inside Final Fantasy IX. So, Final Fantasy IX's latest port came to the Switch and Xbox One last month, and Square Enix decided to take the occasion to look back at the classic with the new video series with its developers. So, um, I'll put this link in the description, of course. But for those of you who love FF9, which is probably most people who follow this channel... Yeah. Um, I, like, I've really been wanting to take time to watch this. I haven't had time to do it yet, so I can't comment it. So this is more just the letting you guys know this exists. But there's a, a whole... There's interviews, more interviews, more insider information, more uh, behind-the-scenes looks at the creation of Final Fantasy IX. So I'm gonna leave a link to this in the description. Watch that, let us know what you think about it. I will let you know what I think about it when I've had time to see it as well. Okay, that was really quick. Now... Here was like probably the biggest news of the week. Um, let me open this again. Uh, we've we've known for a little while that Google was going to be getting into the gaming scene, and uh, yeah, it suspected Apple is too. So this week we got basically more information on what it is they're making they call it this is it stadia or stadia i don't know how to pronounce it
1: i don't i didn't actually watch the presentation so i have no idea
0: (laughs) google stadia and here is the the idea behind it the the idea behind it is no box right so it's a streaming service like an app i would think an application like netflix where if you have, basically, any device that you have, I would assume, your smartphone, your tablet, if you have, like, a smart TV, you can do apps on that. Um, even, maybe even current gaming consoles, like, I don't know if they would do that, though. I don't know if they're going to put it's it onto, like, your on PlayStation. Because, like, you can download Netflix on your PlayStation, right? But what if yeah. would Google, that would be really interesting. I don't know if That's they would do that or not. <laughs> That's interesting. I never they, really thought I, of that. <laughs> a total conjecture on my part, but I mean, why not, right? Um, unless they just, anyways. Unless it's, it's supposed nice to thing. be. Unless
1: Nintendo, if they if they want Nintendo on it, then Nintendo's not going to want you to be able to play those games on the PS. 4 Sure.
0: I don't know. Anyways, we don't know like a ton about it yet. We just know the concept is it's netflix for gaming so it's a streaming service you don't have to update you don't have to like download the games yeah you basically just log in the games are all available there just like netflix you can watch like an assortment of huge assortment of movies it's all there you'd have all these games available you could just play them so you know it'd be a monthly subscription i would assume obviously and uh, you just have access to all these games now the concept of that is really interesting. Yes. Here's several reasons why I would be worried about it. Because <laughs> if it is a monthly subscription, you know, it's something that you can try out. See if you like it and then cancel the subscription. So, like, yeah. not too big of a loss there or whatever, whatever that's priced. But latency, obviously, for streaming video games is a much bigger concern than streaming movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, way bigger. I didn't think we were really there yet in terms of internet speeds to where we could, especially at the level players really want, 60 frames per second at 4K. Yeah, that's that's in the distant future. <laughs> uh, Doomguy says they haven't confirmed if it's a subscription service or buy each game separately yet. There uh-huh. are rumors that it has its own store and you have to buy games individually. If that's the case, if that's <laughs> the case, it's... I would hope that they would have some kind of, like, rental option, like, or demo option or something. I'm sure that they would have that. You could demo something and, like, see how smooth the experience is depending on your internet connection. Exactly, yeah. Because if I bought a game at full price and then I was trying to play it and it, like, runs at 5 FPS because my internet sucks, like, that is obviously not going to be the way I would... (laughs) I would want to play games, right? I would rather have a dedicated machine for that in my own house. Yeah, exactly. But it depends on what kind of games, too.
1: I mean, you can play some of the easier, maybe something like Mario Kart or something that has a, where the delay isn't as important, I guess. Or, sure. Or, you know, maybe some of the side-scrolling games that aren't so, so quick. Like Super Meat Boy would be hard. <laughs> but... <laughs> Like you know, a general Mario game or something like that probably wouldn't be that bad if you push A and it takes, you know, a tenth of a second
0: before the character actually jumps. You just get used to it, you know. Aaron Dight is saying Kotaka reports ten eighty p ten eighty p sixty FPS would need twenty five megabits per second. That's a little low to me. That I would that think you'd yeah, like I, hundred. I mean, if they're reporting, I have to look at their report and see why huh. they're saying that that's the case, but. Twenty five megabits per second's real slow.
1: Yeah, that's not quite ten oh ten eighty sixty. Okay. I not could Not I thought yeah. he was saying four K sixty. Yeah. Ten eighty sixty, twenty five K, maybe, maybe
0: I can see that still seems a little low to me. That's but like they
1: were, bare minimum. You better not dip below that.
0: They were really pushing um four K in the 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 announcement, that little video I just played on the screen, right? On the yeah. website. They were they really were pushing four K. It. So it's like I don't know. Like, I've had faster connections than 20, 25 megabits per second where I'm playing online. Now, that might be... But, I mean, it, it's going to be including that. You're going to obviously be playing online games, you know, connecting with other people. And, like, let's yeah. say Smash Brothers, for instance, right? Like, anytime I've tried playing Smash it. online, it's, like, unplayable for me. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> because... So. It's like my my but my connection's faster than 25 megabits per second. the The wireless connection I have like in my room or whatever is faster than 25 megabits per second, but there's constantly lag and like problems. Now if you're playing a single player game, I could see it being probably not as much an issue because you're not having two players sort of trying to sync up, right? But I'm yeah. sure that online multiplayer games are going to be a huge part of what they're doing with this. So I just I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they resolve that problem of latency and lag and all of that. Because this
1: was supposed to be Google Fiber but they kind of stopped
0: rolling that out. <laughs> yeah, they haven't they haven't brought that to any more cities recently.
1: Um I've heard they brought it oh what's that city called somewhere in like Kentucky or Louisville or I can't remember exactly where, but they they have brought it to maybe one or two more cities, but like they definitely haven't ramped it up the way that people thought they were going to
0: mm. wizard forest says there's also the data cap limit being on the go uh, with such a service supposedly running 4k 60fps out on a data signal is apparently over seven gigs in an hour uh, says he saw this on Reddit and then it says there's, oh. there is unlimited data plans for from some mobile companies. So They're how expensive. is Google going to go about partnership to especially? Yeah. That's, I have... That's the big drain on bandwidth. My family has an unlimited data plan, but I still get notifications if I'm watching too many videos on the go that it's like, you've used two gigabits of data. You better be freaking careful. It's like, you stupid people. Like, I have unlimited <laughs> data plan. What are you talking Do about? Do they
1: throttle after
0: a certain point? I would assume that... It, it would not surprise me. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Like, if that's happening, it would not surprise me, especially with the um the whole... uh. Uh, what was it? it made, everyone made a big deal about um, free the internet, uh, the
1: net neutrality thing. The yeah. net
0: neutrality thing. How, how companies how that...
1: kind of can do whatever they want right now.
0: Yeah, the, there is no net neutrality anymore, right? So yeah, there's no regulation on that, so they can kind of just do whatever the f they want with right. your internet speeds. Technically, they they say, "Well, we haven't done it," but it's like, how do you, you, would you know? You know. Anyways, I'm not. We're not talking about net neutrality today. We're talking about. <laughs> we don't need here. to get into that. <laughs> anyways um so the 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 lag and the and the latency is an obvious issue i i hope they have a way to try it or demo it to see like is my internet connection going to be strong enough for this to work for me
1: yeah i know from um, back mine won't
0: yeah, <laughs> no, I'm especially. Not I mean, you, you, you're, you. Well, it hasn't been so much an issue lately, but how often you were dropping from calls,
1: exactly, like it's on the Dark Pixel than,
0: podcast. <laughs> but still, though,
1: still, still. <laughs>
0: not, I mean, that's just that's just a, sending a video signal. That's not rendering a whole world in real time, yeah. 4K at 60 FPS. Totally different scenario.
1: And I also have satellite internet, not um, wired line you know, internet. So with the satellite stuff, it's like, if the weather's bad or there's all sorts of, and then the latency just in general is, is pretty high. So it's hard for me to, uh, I, I like uh, Splatoon is one of my favorite games for the Wii U. I never bought Splatoon two for the switch because I just know that it would be a waste of money because I, my internet's not good enough to actually play it. So mm. I just, I, to, to this day, I
0: still haven't bought it. So Miss Monet is saying Google has made progress as a quote, uh, Google has made progress since Project Stream was first tested and now Stadia is capable of 4K at 60FPS. Down the line, Google has promised 8K at 120FPS gaming. Uh, Wizard responds with saying, Digital Foundry has noticed a lag latency when testing it at GDC, but apparently it's about the same amount of input lag you see from Xbox One X. Oh, huh. Well, well. it'll be interesting to see. If, if it works, It's a really cool idea. Um, Yeah. And and here's the reason. Well, there's a reason why I think it's awesome. And there's a reason why also it could be a problem. The reason why I think it's awesome is because the one thing that I freaking hate about modern gaming, when you buy a new game for your PS4 or whatever, you almost never just take it home and put it in and play it. Technically, you can You can say, start the game without the update, or whatever. Yeah, or with, yeah. But, like, generally those day one updates are about fixing bugs, and, like, really late, last minute fixes that they couldn't get into the the print, but that, like, are really important to have fixed (laughs) right away. Because a lot of development is rushed these days, and so the games are rushed out, and they try to just post fix them so the day one patch or the day one update is usually really really important so you usually want to put the game in and you want to sit through that update you have to download it first and then it has to install and your machine has to start up and restart like five times uh-huh. and you, you can't just buy the game put the game in and play the game back like no. we did back in the day you know and it's especially
1: stupid when you consider the fact that a lot of these games have midnight releases, and it's like you can buy the game at midnight, but you can't play it till like three a.m. Yes, they and they throttle your down even if your internet's fast. Like yes. they will throttle it oh on their gosh. end. Yes, because of so many people trying to download it at the same time. And it's like you three a.m. Like you just go to sleep. You're not playing that game till tomorrow. You may as well not wait in line and buy it. You know, I. Your-
0: I had Google Fiber at the apartment where we used to work out of. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I had my PlayStation 4 hooked in via Ethernet for downloads. And remember how I long remember. it took us to download the patch for Final Fantasy 15 still? It was a couple. It, I was at least an hour, but I can't remember. It was long. a long time. Well, because there was,
1: were two patches. You had to update the system. And then when you started the game, yeah. you had to update the
0: game. And it, yeah. Like, yeah, so you t- so if you haven't per- turned on your PlayStation in a couple months, you're going to have, a, a, a like, a system update, which yep. you have to download and install. Then you're going to have to update the game's patch, which you have to download and install. Anyways, the process is stupidly long, and I hate that. So I hate that about, like, modern gaming, right? So this would eliminate that altogether, because it's all being done via Google server's. It's all being streamed to you v- via the cloud. You're not downloading anything, so it, it would be more or less a plug and play system. You log in, click the game, and play the game, and it's going to have the newest update on it constantly. That that is nice. That's like very appealing. So here's so it, it's it's more accessible, faster process probably. Here's the problem is is the the matter of ownership. Now this isn't yeah. really any different than current digital uh, storefronts like Steam or even just if you buy a game from the PSN. If you buy a game digitally, technically you don't really own it. If at any time they decide they're going to remove the game from the store and you do not have it downloaded on your computer or on your console or whatever, you no longer have access to that game you paid for. They're not going to pay you back or give you a refund for that, and you basically lost it. So game preservation becomes yeah. an issue. And if this is a service like Netflix, right? Netflix removes movies all the time because of licensing. So the licensing yeah. is going to be a real big question mark. On they the only Stadia. have like
1: a two year contract with most companies yes. to to keep the content on. And once that contract's up, if they can't renegotiate, then the game leaves, it's gone.
0: It's already annoying that I see a movie on Netflix and I want to watch it. And then let's say I don't get to it for a week or two. And then the movie's gone. Yeah. It's like, dang it. Like it's gone. Crap. I didn't watch it fast enough. I was enough. in
1: the middle of a Korean drama once I was on like episode 10 or 11. Oh yeah.
0: That's a good comparison oh. with series. Faith I think.
1: Yeah. And I, to this day I've never finished it. I can, I can get it online other ways, you know, but it's like, I just, uh, it, it was gone and I was really, really upset. <laughs> I just would rather have watched it on Netflix, I guess. Or you have things like Full Metal Alchemist. If you want to watch that show, I think this is how it was a few years ago. I don't know if that's how it is now. But Netflix has like the first half of the show. And then for the last 20 episodes, you actually have to watch it on Hulu or something. Like Netflix doesn't mm, have it. For some reason, the they whole thing it in half. I don't really get why.
0: Yeah, I and so like it's but for a movie, it's good that you brought up like a series like that because that's kind of where I was going yeah, with this. That's more Is like that,
1: a game because it takes a while to finish it. Yeah, sit down and watch it once in one
0: night. If I know the movie's leaving Netflix tomorrow, I can watch the movie tonight. Yeah, and it'll be fine. If if I'm in the middle of my playthrough of a game, yeah, in order a 40, to go away
1: 50, sixty hour game, you can't just like hurry up and yeah, you can't do that.
0: This is why, actually, now that I think about it, it's probably more true that they're not going to have a subscription service and they're going to make you buy the game in a storefront similar to Steam. Yeah. But still, the matter of ownership becomes an issue. If ever they decide to remove it. This has happened with me on a couple, well, like P.T., which was supposed to be a demo for a new silent hill game that yeah. got removed. And it's like, everyone was pissed. Cause like, it was such a cool little demo game. And like, if you didn't have it downloaded on your machine, like you could never access that again. Konami erased that from existence, essentially. Mm. Um, I've seen that happen with chaos rings, a game that I really liked. Uh, it was a game I played on my mobile phone from square Enix. Can't really get the original chaos rings anymore. It's gone. Mm. Um, there are a couple of other games like that too, especially mobile games, that, that I played at once, and it's like, man, like I don't want that to be gone forever. Uh, I think that um recently that happened with what's what's Sakaguchi's most recent games? Terra, Terra Battle. Uh, Terra Battle? Terra Battle. Terra Battle 2 got taken off. And it's gone uh-huh. now. Right? I didn't know that. So like, anyways. Gone forever. Just um, like Flappy Bird. Yeah. That that Becomes an issue if I buy something at full price and then at some point in the future it's removed from the store. The thing you don't own it, you can't have it anymore. You bought a thing and you don't own it; it's gone. That is that is definitely a problem. Uh, Miss Monet says if it works, it'll be revolutionary. It may cause all consoles to go obsolete and follow Google's lead, which I would hate because physical consoles are special to me. But at the same time, I could see how they are the VHS or DVD compared to streaming movies. Yeah, except the, the, only, the only issue yeah. with digital, and that, I mean, this applies to movies too. I mean, if you had, uh, what do they call it? Voodoo, I think is a service kind of like that where you buy movies digitally and you like have a an app where they're stored kind of a thing. I think it's like a cloud app. Um, mm. If the movie, or in this case, if the game is taken off the storefront or out of the service, then you bought a thing that you don't own anymore and that sucks this is why most people hardcore gamers tend to gravitate toward physical and i totally get that because you want to own the thing but at the same time i like digital because i hate packing and storing things i hate like um having to create shelf space And then when I move to another place, I have to put these things in boxes and lift these heavy boxes. So having it stored digitally is what I prefer, but I also want to own the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Like I, I would at least like to have a digital copy on my hard drive, if that makes sense. Yeah. That I can store on my computer rather than playing on the cloud or something where it, it's not in my possession, at least even just the, the data, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is what it sounds like. This is so, um, okay. Anyways, that's the Google Stadia. We'll see what it's all about. Uh, it'll be interesting to see one, how like third parties approach it. Like in terms of like maybe games that are, uh, currently in development, that were planned for like PlayStation four and Xbox one and PC and stuff like that, or switch mm. how those developers will try to like use the stadia as well, like try and get it over there. Or if we'll see like exclusives on it, uh, maybe that Google commissions to be made specifically for the stadia. Cause that's always what like really sells a, a single platform yeah, is it's it's exclusives exclus- like Netflix, exclusive, Uh, or or originals are a big part of what keeps people going to Netflix because, you know, you could watch Lord of the Rings in a variety of ways. Actually, I think it just went off Netflix. But um, movies will eventually leave because they don't have the licenses for that. But what will always stay on Netflix are their original series. And so I would assume Google's going to have original games made for this, exclusive games made for this. And that'll be a big selling point too. So... We'll have That's, to see what they have planned for that. They may have a
1: couple right up front, but I think it'll take them a while to build up a library that would be appealing to people like us, you know?
0: hmm Okay. Let's move on here to the last story from this week. Um, <laughs> so PlayStation is starting a similar, like, streaming series to what Nintendo does with their Nintendo Directs. Yeah, where they they uh, have a like a live stream where they you know do a presentation and they kind of show you what's coming, what you can look forward to in the next coming months on the console, new releases, uh, updated you know, updates on current uh, projects, and when they're going to be released and what you can expect, all that kind of thing. And, uh, PlayStation is starting their take on that called uh, State of Play. Let's mm. go ahead and like show you guys the article I'm looking at here. Uh, Sony has revealed it'll be hosting a series of live broadcasts, with the first one kicking off on March 25th, which is tomorrow. Uh, So Monday. These State of Play showcases intend to provide updates and announcements from the world of PlayStation. Here's a bit about what to expect direct from the PR. State of Play will give you updates and announcements from the world of PlayStation. Our first episode will showcase upcoming PS4 and PSVR software including new trailers, new game announcements, and new gameplay footage. Uh, There's the tweet where they announced it. Uh, It's going to be March 25th, 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time, uh, tomorrow, which is Monday the 25th. As you can probably imagine, people have an absolute field day on social media with this announcement. Most comments appear to be poking fun at PlayStation for seemingly copying Nintendo Direct presentations. This is not a new thing. It's kind of happened. Everyone a lot copies of Nintendo at some point. <laughs> Even our colleagues over at Push Square seem to agree the Japanese entertainment giant has taken a page out of Nintendo's book. I don't know why you wouldn't though because it, it in today's day and age it, it makes abso- so much sense. Like, I remember E3 for me in terms of my excitement for E3 was a really big deal around the time where online streaming started to become a thing. Like, you had... Yeah internet speeds where you could watch a video live. You didn't like, when we were in middle school, maybe beginning of high school, you downloaded a video all day long Yeah, you couldn't while you were at dream. school <laughs> yeah. on your dial-up internet. And then when you got back from school, maybe it would be complete. It'd be like 80% or 90% of the way there. You'd still have to wait a little bit in hours of downloading a video so you could watch it. When I got towards the end of high school, my junior, senior year, that's when I could actually start watching, like, a live stream. Um, And, like, internet speeds were good enough to, to watch, like, a decent resolution video. And I could, like, watch announcements from E3, like, as they were happening. And it was like, oh, this is sweet. So, yeah, you know, once a year you, you log on. But when video streaming became, like, as regular a thing as it is now where it's like anyone in the world almost can like jump on with a device in their hand and live stream to somebody and have people join in at a high resolutions 1080p 4k like whatever yeah it doesn't make sense to just like withhold all your announcements to like a big event every year when you could host it
1: yeah whenever it's ready then you because at e3 everyone's competing right you've got you know, all the Nintendo stuff's competing with Microsoft and, and PlayStation and Square Enix and everybody's like competing for the space. And typically only a few like big titles end up emerging that everyone's like, oh, these are the ones I'm excited about. But it's like, if you're a smaller company or if you just don't have anything big this year yet that you wanted to reveal at E3 that can't compete with like the top, 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 you could just wait a month or do it a month earlier when no one is talking about anything. And then you can have all the PR press that you want.
0: yeah. Uh, I want to say real quick thank you to Berman who subscribed uh, on Man. Twitch. So three Beaver. months, three months straight subscription. It says on a two month streak. Thank you, Berman, for the subscription. Yes. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, Dude McGuire says, "Why announce things at E3 anymore when you can have a direct video to the audience and dominate headlines for an entire week? Direct videos on YouTube just make way more sense." Absolutely, they do. They do. And, and when here in Nintendo, and you have these motion controls that sometimes get
1: <laughs> screwy. And you're trying to show them on yeah. stage and it's not working. And you could have a controlled
0: environment if you did a direct instead of a live stage presentation. This, that's exactly what I was going to bring up is the fact yeah, that a live, <laughs> a live presentation on a stage, there is so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. Whereas when you prepare, you prepare a video and you just release that video. Like, you can control exactly the pace of the presentation, you can control basically all of that, and you can make the product look as great as you want it to look without any um, mishaps on stage. You know, the the presenter being nervous and stumbling on words and just, like, being awkward. Or Or the
1: teleprompter, uh, like getting move stuck. And,
0: yeah. yeah. Or the technology, because there's like, a, you know, a thousand people in the arena all with their smartphones on interfering. Like, you know, there's latency problems with the controller that are being interfered with because there's so many different you know, signals going on in the room. These are all things that can go wrong on stage that you have total control over. If you just create a video, the pacing's better, the presentation's better and you can release them multiple times a year. Whenever you're ready, rather than waiting to the big events, you know, and having to pay a lot of money to go to a big event and set up a huge booth and stuff and, you know, have this light show, it just just makes way more sense to do it the way Nintendo started doing it and the way that Sony's going to do it now. So anyways, I don't see it so much as a copying Nintendo as a... I mean, it it kind of is, but it's not so much that as it's just, like, it just makes way more sense in the modern day and age with streaming services being the way it is and youtube and twitch and everything else like why wouldn't you do it that way it's just like a no-brainer right um anyways people w- were wondering like what we'd like to see from this first one the obvious one <laughs> is any update on the final fantasy 7 remake yeah, though that, i don't it, think that's it, gonna all happen all i
1: want to see from from uh, sony
0: I don't think that they will. I think that Square Enix is probably going to wait to do their own revealing of this. Sure.
1: And that's the kind of thing that, sure, if you want to wait for E3 on something like that, that can really, really, you know, win the whole day, go ahead, go ahead. You know. well, it depends on a couple of things. strategy isn't for, like, the big stuff
0: as much that actually can win E3. It, it depends on a couple of things, I think. One is whether or not, Final Fantasy VII Remake is still coming first to the PlayStation 4, like they announced, remember? Right. When they announced it, they're like, oh, it's coming first to PlayStation 4. So PlayStation announced it in their presentation at E3. It wasn't Square Enix. Well, Square Enix also did, but it was first announced at the Sony press conference at E3 Yeah, and then again at the Sony
1: PX or PX... PSX, whatever it's called. Yeah, PSX, whatever. Yeah, PlayStation experience. At a Sony event, the, the, these things have been revealed.
0: So if that partnership still exists at this point, then I could see the fact that this is probably going to be a pretty big event. The state of play, the first state of play thing like that. That's a big announcement. A lot of people are going to tune into that. So they could have a lot of eyeballs, That'd be something stupid, but it all depends on how far along they really are on the project. Yeah. Because remember that. Anyways, there there have been conflicting reports about how far along it is. I've seen a lot of people recently saying that um, in many ways it was further along in cutscene development back before like um, they really revved up and saying like we're focusing on Kingdom Hearts three. There were well, people that makes saying
1: because Buddha does all the cutscenes first. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't actually make the game first. He does the cutscenes first, and then he tries to make the game fit later. So that made perfect sense.
0: There was a report back then before they were like, yeah, we're focusing on Kingdom Hearts 3, and then we're going to move on to Final Fantasy 7 as the main project after that, where they were saying, in, in many ways, FF7 Remake is farther along than Kingdom Hearts 3 is currently. That was probably back in the summer of last year before they announced the delay of Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh. So... I mean there there is especially if they're still doing it in parts they're going to release it in three parts like they originally talked about. Yeah. There is a possibility that that game could come out as early as the end of this year. I don't think that's true. But if some of the reports I've read on it are true about how far along it is in development or how far it was at the time of the report, I could see that being the case. If it is that far along, I could see it being talked about tomorrow if that partnership with Sony still exists. Because if it is going to, they are going to try to come out with it this year, they still have the partnership with Sony, this would be a great time to do it because a lot of people will be looking at it. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think there's so much doubt now cast over the Seven remake that I think Square will probably want to have a really big. A controlled announcement dedicated to that thing versus it being a part of a bunch of Sony announcements for upcoming projects. Mm. But I still wonder even if it's coming out on the PlayStation 4 at all. I really wonder if it's going to be a next generation game still. I think it very likely will be. Which means that whatever partnership they had about it coming first to PlayStation 4 is void now. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know there's still a possibility it could come out this year that i think i don't remember where i read it but i thought that square was saying they were going to give more information on the Seven remake sometime in april um i remember reading that oh, yeah. back earlier in the year that's right i do remember that so i would assume that they're probably going to handle the announcement of or a re-announcement of the game, whatever you want to call it, because it's been so many years now, of the FF7 remake, they're going to handle that themselves, in their own way, on their own stream. They should. Totally dedicated to it, and talking about it, and I think that would be the smartest way to go about doing that, rather than making it a part of a bunch of different stuff. So I don't think the 7 remake will be talked about tomorrow at all. Mm -hmm. Though I would love to have just anything. Something, yeah. Updating us on it, right? Um... Aside from that, I mean, I'm assuming uh, big projects that we've known about for a while, but are, have still been in development, like Last of Us Part Two, and, um, what's the Kojima game, the freaking crazy thing? Uh, oh, Death Stranding? Death Stranding, yeah, yeah. We'll see more from those two for yeah, sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um,. And uh yeah, I I'm I'm becoming more and more interested in in what on earth death stranding even is. <laughs> me too. It's like, yeah, show so, me
1: show me a little bit more. I feel like the next time we hear about it, we should know a lot more about it.
0: Yeah. So hopefully they'll announce like release dates for those things. Um Yeah. More of that uh samurai game. Where where the the Huns are invading or whatever? What was that game called? Um, I don't know. Remember, it was the uh... not exactly. <laughs> Dang it! I've totally forgotten the name of that game, but it looked sweet. Remember, he was like a samurai, and he's like walked in, and there was like had like that that, that sword battle with the. He like sneaks into that hut. Dang it! What was it? Someone's in the Ghost of Tsushima. Thank you, Xenogears, nineteen eighty nine. I think there, know, it, the only is. there it is. Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, Ghost of Tsushima, or, yeah. Is uh, a game that I I want to see more of. So I would say yeah. probably those three would be the big ones that I want. I want solid release date. I want to know what Death Stranding's gameplay is, aside from walking around <laughs> yeah. and being scared that some shadow thing is going to grab you. <clears throat> Um and I want to see more of Ghosts of Tsushima. Those those are the big ones for me. Yeah, that sounds about right. So hopefully we'll get that. Um, I'm probably missing something. Uh, real Dracula, yeah, Sucker Punch are developing that. Yes, Sucker Punch, the guys who made um what are those games called where you're like the superhero guy in the city, he's got like fire. Someone's gonna tell me what that is too, and they're all gonna point up with their little arrows and say this, this, this. <laughs> Can't, uh, Infamous, that's the one. <laughs> okay, there you go. Good work. Everybody, do a little. If we, with our powers combined, the chat and us can get to the point of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> there we go, Colin, dude. Good job. I, I just hope that um, for
1: the uh, Sony thing, I hope that they don't just have these. I hope they don't treat it like an E3 conference. I hope they do take Nintendo's as much as. It's just a shameless ripoff. I hope that they do take a lot from Nintendo's style because Nintendo, they always have like a host. They always have somebody who's kind of there along the way. And it would have been great. Mike, you looked the name of this guy up. I can't remember his name, but the old comedian spokesperson, oh, Kevin, Sony, Butler. Kevin, Kevin Butler, Kevin Butler. He was funny. And somebody like him would be perfect for this whole, like a uh, Nintendo direct style thing for Sony. Um, but I don't, I don't think he still works for, for Sony. So they'd have to have somebody else. But like, I love that Nintendo always had Reggie or Satoru Iwata or certain people who they just kind of like you, you get to know them really well and and it's fun and it's funny and it's interesting. And I hope that Sony can somehow replicate that because if they just do their little thing and they just show the games and then that's that, it won't have the same impact. It won't be as, um,
0: it just won't be the same. Yeah. They'll probably need to find a spokesperson. I would think yeah. for this just get
1: things. Kevin back, man. That'd be great. He'd be perfect.
0: <laughs> um, So Ninja, uh, ninjutsu kid, it brings up a good point. Actually, I'm mildly interested in seeing what Eidos is doing with the Avengers game. So remember when Square Enix announced that I actually did a video back when we were doing like daily news videos or trying that for a while, um, where I reported on Square Enix publishing an Avengers game that feels like forever ago. Um, yeah. So there, there was a lot of speculation recently on whether or not the Final Fantasy VII Remake was going to come out in 2019 because Square Enix posted some ridiculous projections for this year where, like, there was quarter three was, like, just insane yeah, I expectations.
1: Heard that. But a lot of people <clears throat> were saying that that was going to be the Final Fantasy VII Remake.
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were thinking because they are being so nutso about their projections for sales in Quarter 3 that must signify something huge, like Final Fantasy VII Remake. Now, I think possibly this Avengers game could be what they are expecting to be a big seller in Quarter 3. Sure. Um, Or maybe the two of them combined, if you look at how stupid their projections are. (laughs) But um, we know that they tend to have... Really, really outrageous expectations for sales for properties that are not as big as they assume they are that sell really well, but still just they feel like our disappointments. So it wouldn't surprise me if Avengers is what their big announcement is for this year, and Final Fantasy VII Remake doesn't come out till 2020 or beyond. So, yeah, especially if it's so close to the PS5. It, that's that's a real possibility. So yeah, and and the Ninjutsu. Uh, also says uh, that would make sense coming right off the Avengers movie and the Spider-Man thing so the fact that well Avengers Avengers Endgame is going to be
1: the highest grossing
0: movie of all time there's like absolutely no doubt of that especially following what happened in the last one people are going to be like begging (laughs) to freaking know what happens so there's going to be a lot of hype around Avengers. If the movie come, if the game comes out right after that or right around that time, that would make most sense. But that's not going to be quarter three. I think that would still technically fall into quarter two. Because quarter three, for whatever reason, is mostly end of the the year, like the September through December portion of the year. The calendar year is quarter three in business, and quarter four runs into like the following year. It's really yeah, weird yeah. the way that they split the quarters up. So, no. if it's if quarter 3 projections that high, that's what I would assume the the Avengers game at least is probably going to come out but, like November, something like that. Um so, so Collins f-
1: bringing up Persona 5 Royal and we yeah. did we looked at that a little bit. We were going to have that be talked about. It's probably is going to be at the state of play. They're probably going to talk about Persona 5R. You know what um, you're correct. But what is it? I, I I don't really know what it is. It seems like just a whole nother. It doesn't seem like it has a ton to do with the original Persona 5. There's a, there's a new main character. It's a, it's a woman. Like a new and, story. Yeah. Yeah, new story. I don't know how extensive it's going to be. Colin's saying 200 hours. I don't know how much they put into this. I thought Persona 5 R was going to be like a new gold version of Persona 5. But it, it turns out to be a completely different game. So I have no idea what's what's going on with that. But it looks interesting. They'll probably talk about that tomorrow, too.
0: Quick response to Robbie says electricity, not fire. Electricity was Infamous 1. I probably was thinking of Infamous 2, which I think he has, like, fire fists. And he punches people with fire. So, yes, Infamous 1 was electricity. I think Infamous 2 was fire, which was what I was thinking of. Okay. Um, I think that's it for the stories of The week. Let's move into our main topic. We're going to be talking about uh, pacing in storytelling today. Um, okay. One thing I want to talk about before getting into it, uh, there I think there was someone on Patreon who sent me a message and was like, hey, like, I'm not really interested in the art of storytelling. Can you please just do gaming topics on the podcast? <laughs> and so I just want to say really quickly, most of you are aware of this, but I mean, this is part of our rebranding was that, um, you know, we're we're passionate about a lot more than just video games and uh, especially more than just like JRPGs. And I was feeling really boxed <laughs> into only talking about one thing. And it's been a struggle even still to kind of start trying to introduce, hey, we're going to talk about things other than just Final Fantasy from now yeah. on. Is that OK, guys? <laughs> we're getting there. But um I think that it's 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 good to branch out a little bit. So that's why we try to do the gaming topics as the stories of the week, the the news topics. So we just got done talking about a lot of gaming topics. you know, hopefully it's okay that we can kind of like partition the the two. So we're still going to talk about gaming obviously uh, on the podcast. So so essentially what I'm saying is the the first segment of these podcasts is usually dedicated to gaming topics, and the second segment, which we talk about more in depth, is our thoughts on storytelling. Yeah, uh, so, anyways, pay attention to the early parts of podcasts. I'll try to maybe go a little bit more in depth on them but today. We had we, we spent a pretty good decent chunk of time talking about uh, we yeah, did. In story. fact, so. we spent a very long time. This, oh, how long this
1: go through a little quicker than we usually would
0: (laughs) yeah and i think i think i'm going to anyways because um this is such a subjective thing um yeah anyways pacing is a really hard thing to talk about um because it's it's and here's the reason why i think we wanted to talk about it in our book club we just got done reading crime and punishment and then we moved into the silmarillion and what's been really interesting is that I think Kason and I mostly agree on what we felt about the pacing of both those books. I'm probably a little harder on Crime and Punishment than he is, but we both really love The Silmarillion yeah. and think its pacing is great. <clears throat> um, yeah. there's Not a, everyone
1: agrees with us here, however.
0: <laughs> there's a pretty wide disparity I've seen with readers. Not I used to think that The Silmarillion was pretty much well-beloved. I, I think if you look at it, it's like... Um, it's user ratings and stuff from different websites. It's generally highly praised. It's like 90%, 9 out of 10, 8.5, something like that. So people mostly like it. But when I, whenever I've talked about the Silmarillion online, it's mostly been on like the OneRing.net and places like that where people are just way into Middle-earth anyways. Yeah. So those people are going to be into it. It's been interesting to see like how our community has responded because there have been some who, like us, adore it. And just absolutely love it. And there have been some people who are like this is really hard to get into. Uh, some people I think who have actually quit. They started reading it and then they just didn't participate starting week two. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I think so. So obviously, there's um, there's a lot of difference of opinion when it comes to what actually constitutes good pacing or not. Um, There's one viewer, Greg in particular, that we've already been going back and forth in our discussions of these books with, uh, who has different feelings about pacing and and what constitutes good pacing or brisk pacing versus something being inconsequential or unneeded. And so anyways, this is not as concrete a topic as I was thinking it would be when we picked it earlier in the week. This is This is something that it really just depends on how you feel, (laughs) Um, because you keep you. I think a lot of people, when you're just kind of generally thinking about pacing in a story, they, they I think maybe innately we tend to think fast equals good, slow equals bad.
1: Yes, that's generally what people mean when they when they talk about pacing.
0: It's oh, it's slow. So it's bad. It's slow pace, bad pacing. And that pacing should be brisk and fast that is not that is not true at all um especially if you're talking about suspense suspense is all about slow build to something and making the person feel like something could happen at any moment but i don't know when and so the tension all exists and when is that it's building 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 when's it going to be unleashed released like so the slowness of of pacing is actually what you desire for suspense or mystery or that kind of thing. Adventure, yeah. I think is very much that way too. With adventure, you want to settle into a world and really feel like you're there and, and enjoy the journey more than right. like racing to the finish line. Okay. So those genres are ones in which slow pacing is actually favorable. Whereas action movies, uh, you know, Fast, exciting movement. And those are more about that really fast, brisk pacing, right? Yeah. So, genre is a big consideration. What we were talking about before we started is the audience is actually a big consideration. Like, who are you trying to talk to with your story, right? And yeah. they're going to have different expectations. Some people like the slow burn, they enjoy sitting down with a thousand page book and going, I, this is so great. I can't wait to sit here for days and weeks and just like get lost in this story. And they want it to be slow. And other people are like, I don't have time. Uh, I'm on a commute to work and I just want something to help pass the time. And I want something to keep me entertained while I'm on the train. And then when I get off the train, I put it away. So who's your audience? How are they going to be consuming the story we, we've actually talked about this in the past, too, with, like, the difference between expectations for a film or a television series, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You go to watch a movie. I expect to be there no longer than two hours. Two and a half is pushing it. If we get to three, it's like, okay, holy crap. It, like,
1: we have a good payoff. <laughs> it's going to be three hours long.
0: Yeah. But for the television series, I can turn that on and off for half an hour, an hour, however long an episode is once a day for weeks and that's fine yeah. and and the, the story can be 50 hours long that's totally acceptable right so this is essentially what i'm saying is this is all context for why this is not a black and white topic and why it's really difficult to talk about that being said i do think i have some thoughts on it that can at least help us avoid what to not do for sure <laughs> uh what would always be constituted as being probably the wrong choice to make but in terms of the right way to do it it's so open there's there's a huge ocean of possibilities rob says describing it being like scripture is the last thing that is going to get me interested in the book i read I'm, it but that's sorry. an issue
1: That that's like uh i mean that's what it is <laughs> so <laughs> You're just not into that kind of stuff, and that's fine, that's fine. But a lot of people are, and you know, that's how mythology, I think, should be written. A convincing mythology should be written the way that we consume general mythology, anyways, which is kind of like that.
0: We've talked about that in our Silmarillion discussion, right? It was like part of what makes the Silmarillion feel believable is the fact that it's written like ancient myths are written. And so, like, part of that is like, ooh, it feels like it was written by a guy 5,000 years ago. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> and so and so that's, like, almost part of the illusion that Tolkien is creating. It makes it feel more ancient. It makes it feel more grounded or historical because it's written in a style that uh, that emulates our own ancient myths. Yeah. Now, that being said... Maybe you just don't like that to begin with. And that's that's totally fine. And that's This is why this is such a hard topic to talk about in any kind of concrete way. <laughs> Crap, we just lost Gathan. <laughs> okay. When he gets back, it's going to take him. Okay, he's back now. Just saying What's everybody's up? different. <laughs> everybody's different, right? Okay. So um, here are my... I'm going to, I'm just going to blast through this and we'll see where it goes, but this is going to be pretty quick. Here are my thoughts on what good pacing is, right? You actually look at the structure of storytelling, basically Uh the the formula of it. If you look at our logo up above my head over there, I think it is (laughs) our logo was created to be a stylized sort of like icon that represents the, the storytelling arc. Yeah, generally probably learned about in like literature 101 or whatever in college (laughs) Yeah. in in eighth grade in high school, whatever in in basic English classes. They teach the the storytelling arc, which is exposition is that first line rising action, climax at the top, falling action, resolution. That's what that is. There are other forms of it that show it more like a bell curve. That have like a couple of other uh, things in there. Like uh, you have your exposition, you're like your inciting incident, which starts the upward slope as the rising action. Then you have your like your midpoint, which is not exactly the climax of the story. That's more like the character realizing the need for change, or like having like a a turning point for the character, which then sort of races toward the climax of the story, the plot's climax. And then the falling action resolution, right? So that in and of itself is sort of a skeleton for pacing in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think that if if you are telling a story and you've, you're, you're, you're kind of into your rising action portion, but then you say, hold on a second, let's break away to something else, unrelated to where we're going and hang on that for a minute that would hurt your momentum yeah right um there was a great extra credits video i watched once i don't know if you guys have seen it it's about pacing but actually let me just go ahead and um draw this on the screen maybe i can just open uh, photoshop or something and just draw this on the screen um i thought this was actually pretty profound but they talked about how, you know, if you look at the logo that I was just pointing at, there's like this straight upward slope from inciting incident to climax. And it just goes right, like straight up. I think that 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 can give the wrong sense for pacing in a way, because it's like, oh, well, we need to have quick momentum as we go, 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 go to the climax. I actually don't think that's a good way to do it. Um, because... You need contrast in storytelling. Um, I've talked about this a lot on our other channel on Dark Pixel when we made um, we made our Starcart video, and I was talking about uh, the sound design, the process for the sound design in that. Where it's a it's a big like there's big machines, these spaceships that are loud and powerful, and when the spaceships are there and the camera is looking at them, we have this. the 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 volume of the scene is all the way up to 11 it's really loud maximum volume but whenever we have a sensation it doesn't matter what it is it could be a taste it could be uh, a sound if if you are um if you are there with that sensation for an extended period of time it becomes kind of the new normal. I don't know. There's a term for this. You become, uh, what is it where you be like violence, you become like, it doesn't like mean anything to you anymore. What is the word I'm looking for? You be, you become acclimated to it. You become, it's not quite acclimated. Someone in the comments will know what I'm trying to say. Inundated Mm -hmm. is another, uh, numb is another way of saying it standardized, normalized, acclimated desensitized Colin got it desensitized
1: of course okay sure
0: (laughs) that goes with it because I'm talking about sensing right sensing something you become desensitized to a a stimulus if, if, if you're there experiencing it constantly non-stop all the time
1: yeah
0: so what you want in storytelling in order to keep something exciting you have to show contrast you have to take that thing away and then you bring it back again and you remind people. So what, what I did with the sound design in the starcart video was that I would bring it in really loud, really powerful. And then we would have it all disappear. And we would allow the shot to linger for a second on that scene where there are no spaceships in the scene anymore. And you would hear the silence of space. Right. And then mm-hmm. And then, you, and then when the ships come back, they feel like, whoa, those are powerful. Because you're reminded of what silence is like. And then when the ships come in, it, it, it disrupts that silence. So anyways, let me try to uh, put this on the screen here. Yeah. So in the extra credits video, they kind of talked about this a little bit with... Um, with the pacing and they were saying that it should have kind of this curve that goes like this, right? You're coming in and out and it but like there's a momentum that steadily goes up like over time. So you're you're having lulls or contrast in your pacing but it is steadily going in a in a line that has an upward momentum. Right? But you aren't just constantly staying high you are coming high and then dipping low and then coming high and then dipping low
1: yeah, it's almost and, like you have climaxes like every scene within the yes. rising act has its own climax to the scene but it doesn't quite go back down to the same point it, it continues going up yeah
0: yes that's exactly right Kason is exactly right so basically what you're having are like several climaxes within each scene almost each scene is a story in and of itself where yeah. you build up to the tension of that scene. You release the tension as you start the next one. And sort of you, you, build up and up and up over time, because again, you don't want to desensitize the viewer to all the violence that is potentially in the story or the drama that's in the story. You don't want to desensitize them to it. You want them to be impacted by it. But if, if and, and this is, I think the most um, apparent in like survival horror games like because a lot of people try to uh, especially in the indie scene it's it's horror actually even in film is one of the easiest things to try and do because it it, it you can do good horror on really low budgets yeah yeah this That's is true. true of games i think as well so a lot of not to be like degrading but a lot of amateurs try their hand at filmmaking and uh, at uh, game development with the horror genre because it's one that doesn't require tons of money to produce but you yeah. also see a lot of amateur mistakes in the horror genre where people don't really understand good pacing in terms of when to build tension when to release tension mm. some people try to have that tension there constantly and what that does is just it becomes fatiguing it's like you're yeah. always being chased
1: yeah I've seen it done well before. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's very hard to do, but I think the movie that did that the best would be A Quiet Place. Yeah, that one out last year. The ever-present like threat—it's very fatiguing. Like that's the movie where when it's over, you're just like, "Whew!" Like you finally can breathe again. But it's it's just like it's it's suffocating. But Mm -hmm. they did it well in that one. Most
0: movies can't really pull that off too well. Mm -hmm. Um, Swan Knight I don't know when uh, you came into the stream but he says that's a successful model for a narrative structure but it's not the only way to do it. 2001 A Space Odyssey for example has its most intense scene in the beginning and a calm and gloomy climax. So I don't know when you came into the stream. We precluded this entire conversation with the fact that this is a very difficult topic to talk about because there are examples to the contrary and so much of it is subjective but This is another great example, right? Because we were talking about Crime and Punishment, how I thought the pacing was a little slow and uh, Greg thought it was perfect. Um, How Cason and I both think the Silmarillion's pacing is really good, near perfect. A lot of people don't. (laughs) I love 2001 A Space Odyssey. I've read the novel and I've, I've watched the movie, which is a really interesting comparison because the movie is actually slower and more vague and ambiguous than the book is. The book gives more concrete answers to the questions the movie raises, and it's paced faster (laughs) than the movie is, which is usually the opposite. Usually it's the other way around. You want to make the movie faster because you have a shorter space to tell a story in than a a novel. Anyways, it's a very interesting outlier example, But, uh, but there are a ton of people who cannot get into 2001 A Space Odyssey. My dad has tried watching that with me a couple times and he just can't do it. He just he cannot watch it. He does he's like, what is this? Like what's happening? I, what is the point? So anyways, um let's see, Miss Monai says, wait, is that the movie where the guy becomes super old and he's floating baby in space? Spoiler. <laughs> but yes, that's the movie we're talking about. Um okay, I'm gonna get back on track here. So Yes. Generally you want to create some contrast, but you want the momentum to be moving upwards in trajectory. You want it to build the tension over time. You want it to be moving towards a climax. You want to feel like we're moving somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Generally speaking. And and in horror, the horror genre, you see a lot of people who either try to have the tension too high all the time, and so you become desensitized to it, annoyed by it. It's no longer scary, it just sucks. Versus really good. Horror directors will give you some, like very few moments of true, like really scary something happening, and there will be really slow, suspenseful building of tension up to those moments, and you don't know when they're gonna happen, but you know it's gonna happen at some point. So your 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 heart's racing. You know it's coming. I'm scared. The atmosphere is all here. Something's gonna suck really bad. I just don't know when. And they hold you in that moment of tension for the exact right amount of time. Because if they hold you too long without delivering the payoff to it, yeah. it can also become annoying or just like, oh that's dumb, right? Um so that's one part of it. Do you have any thoughts pertaining to that, Case and before we move on to the next part I was gonna talk about? Uh no, not necessarily, but Okay. I think we're losing you again. You're kind of slowing down there. This whole he is it, that... he's gone. Okay. Uh, he'll come back here in just a second. Uh, his internet lately has been really good until uh, probably just this last week he started dropping calls again. Um. So the next part of what I wanted to talk about was um, that I think outside of that kind of structure with uh, you know the the logo we have up here the the storytelling arc structure sort of guiding the pacing um you also need to have like a thematic center that your story is tethered to so to speak right you have the thematic core the theme the message the point of the story and, and all of your plot points, okay, he's back, but I think he just got dropped literally. No, he's back. Hey, sorry. <laughs> okay, so go back to, we didn't hear anything of what you were making, so say it again. I was just going to talk about the stock
1: market, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> stock markets have a similar kind of um, issue. It, it, stock markets operate based on human psychology, essentially, and the way that people perceive when, when things are going up too much or when things are going down too much. And if you ever keep track of the stock market and any any stock anywhere or just the whole market at large, you'll notice that it has that similar etch. Like it never goes up and then down. It goes up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And then you just map that over the period of the entire day. And then you kind of get what looks like a line. But what it really is, is an up-down movement. And there's something called an RSI indicator. And the RSI tells you like investor sentiment. How do people think when a stock jumps up really high? Um, the the RSI moves into this territory called oversold, where it's like whoa, or no, overbought, where it's like whoa, too many people bought this stock just now. It people are going to start getting nervous about that because it jumped up too high, and people are going to start selling. Like it's just a it's just a fact of human psychology that in as as like, as things come too uh, over into just like a, a a normal place where they think the actual value of the stock is. So what I'm comparing that to is stories just in general because we uh, if the market operates on you know, the condition of just human psychology, that's how stories operate as well. And it's all how, how we perceive them. And when you craft something that actually does that, that when it goes up, when it spikes, it comes back down because humans can't take that spike. It goes up a little too high and it makes your heartbeat a little too much. You need that relief as you're going up over and over and over. And that's true in multiple facets of human life and human psychology.
0: Very good point. Um, I want to uh, you were kind of breaking up a little bit but we sort of followed you all the way through that but uh i think the point was made so we're good but colin faluso <laughs> adds to that it's just a fact of case in psychology that he refuses to get better internet <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it, the internet dips sometimes it usually it's perfect but it, it, you have
0: to have contrast in your internet connection <laughs> i have
1: high contrast
0: sometimes it's really <laughs> fast but in order for you to appreciate how fast that internet is, you've <laughs> got to have lulls <laughs> where it breaks down and then you I'm go, man, that internet's fast. <laughs> oh,
1: you can create a metaphor
0: for anything. <laughs> oh goodness. Yes. <laughs> okay. So yeah, uh, good points made. Um, the next point I, I was kind of moving on to was having a thematic core to which you're um, story is tethered; that the pacing of the story is tethered, so to speak. Right. So you have your your theme of your story, the message, and uh, when when you're when you're making choices about what scenes you're going to be putting in and how long they are going to be, I think that what makes the story feel like the pacing is good, even if it's slow, is if that thematic core is tethered to the scene; they're related it's important to the theme for that scene to be there the context is necessary right um i'm going to create right now a really bad example that does not exist and (laughs) say what if in final fantasy seven you've moved on from midgar you're in the uh the calm in and uh cloud is recapping the story at nibelheim and what happened with sephiroth and they decide okay it's time to move forward and like go after him and find out what happened then we have an hour-long breakaway to a random npc in midgar who is trying to pick up the pieces of uh the sector seven uh falling and like they lost a family member you could have some really good drama there i mean that that's not like a bad thing to explore like how that event affected the people of midgar sure but it isn't really tethered (laughs) or relevant to the plot that we have established at that point we are now interested we've built up to the fact that finding out what happened in nibelheim is the point of the story we need to discover what happened in clouds past and stop Sephiroth, whatever he's doing. That's now the urgent plot point. And if we break away from that to go to something totally unrelated to it, even if it's done well, that is going to hurt the pacing of the story. So making sure that each scene that you're choosing to include is relevant and tethered and important to the thematic core will help i think in deciding uh or in 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 the pace of the story feeling right um ninjutsu kid says hang on what happens to the pacing of that scene if they break if the break they take doesn't happen what was that pacing i'm not sure what you mean ninjutsu kid maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit um colin palisa says this sounds like ff8 pacing where it randomly cuts to laguna i know it's relevant but the presentation of the cutaway could have been way better i i for the most part i liked the scenes with laguna and i do think that they are relevant but it, can, it might be kind of hard to tell that they're relevant at first and this is also a point that i wanted to make so because crime and punishment and the Silmarillion are the most recent things we've been consuming. I don't want to keep dragging this up because we've talked about it so much, but it's just the most fresh in my mind. Hmm. Uh, Crime and punishment's thematic core is about the nature of guilt and morality, so to speak. Like, is there such a thing as objective morality? Where like we just know innately as human beings what is right and what is wrong. Um, and so when we when we commit an act that is evil, doesn't matter like what you proclaim to believe, you're going to feel guilty about it because it is literally just wrong to do it. And the, the nature of how that guilt eats away at you, even if um, even if you claim to believe that there is no such thing. I would say that's kind of like what the book's message is, right? Now, I didn't have time to actually go back into the book and pull out examples. That's what I wish I had had time to do. But it seemed to me that the book, in many ways, in, in in a lot of its scenes, while the scenes were written well, while the dialogue was natural, while the characters were believable, that some uh, i i won't say often but it's it's kind of between often and sometimes it's like frequent enough to where i noticed it a lot but not frequent enough to where i'd say it's constantly sort of like meandering but to me it seemed that the scenes were not tethered to that thematic core and so part of me was wondering when are we going to get back to exploring this idea that is at the center of the message Holy crap, what happened here, Casey, You came back, but you're in like a different window. That's weird. Sorry. Um, you're good. You're having some It looks bad like there's three people
1: today. in this hangout right now. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know what's going on. Anyways, I don't know what you've heard of what I've said. I might have to repeat it just um, a so you know where I'm at. He just I, got dropped the, again. I got the
1: majority of what you're begin and talk
0: yeah, Casey, you might just have to peace out for this one, man. Sorry.
1: <laughs> You're back
0: now. Dude, You're back now. I, Try I'm sorry, man. Try it again.
1: Okay. So, oh yeah. So I heard what you were saying about with, uh, the, the themes and the thing the themes that were being discovered between the Silmarillion and Crime and Punishment were just mm-hmm. different. Like they're just different themes and they take different approaches. And so.
0: Yeah. And so the I guess the point I made when you dropped out was that it seemed to me sometimes that crime and punishments scenes were not always tethered to that thematic core. They were not always exploring Uh, the idea of the guilt and, you know, Raskolnikov's, like, inner thoughts. Sometimes they kind of wandered away to things that I would say were unrelated to that core thematic message. And so I think that that's that's the reason why. Now, you could argue there's more than one theme and that they're important for other reasons. Sure. I'm just (laughs) trying to get at what it was that I felt that sort of made me feel like this is moving really slow. Yeah, in terms of pacing, yeah. Right? I think that it was because we were not (laughs) centered in that thematic message with every scene that I started to feel like, man, this is not really moving Uh, very very quickly or at at a pace that feels right because i don't want to again i don't want to equate fast pacing to being good and slow to being bad right exactly that's the
1: hard that's the hardest thing about it but at the very least does the content does all the content work towards the greater theme of the work in the silmarillion it's a clear yes with with crime and punishment it's a little bit muddier yeah And and that's where the pacing comes in. If you're ever thinking to yourself, what's the point of this, which you do during the Silmarillion, but if it never comes up again, and if there ultimately is no greater point necessarily other than to have it, then then you can uh, accurately say that the pacing was likely not correct.
0: Yeah. Rob is uh, giving his answer to the idea of objective morality, which is morality is inherently tied to empathy. We create morality because we are capable of feeling the pain of others. This is a point that we talked about during that book club that I agree with. I think that our empathy, our ability to imagine what it's like to be in the shoes of another person is where morality comes from in the first place. Anyways, that's not really tied to pacing, but I agree with you, Rob. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So anyways... We talked about this in Book Club for Silmarillion too. The one chapter in that book that I said I will not die on the hill for in terms of its pacing being totally relevant to the story is the chapter where he names every river and every stream and every lake and every city and every forest and every mountain (laughs) in the entire land of Beleriand. Uh, The chapter is called Of Beleriand and Its Realms. Now, I do think it's important to have a sound understanding of the layout of the land. You do need that. But do you need to know that this river is called Sirion and this river is called this? Probably not. So Mm. in that one example, I would say that's probably not the most necessary or that it's not that chapter is not tied to the thematic theme, the thematic theme, the thematic core of the Silmarillion. But I do think basically every other chapter is because on this reading, it's been all about this idea of pride, blinding the strongest, the the ones with the most potential, the wisest, no, not yeah. wisest, the smartest, because wise indicates that you, you humble yourself, intelligent, the most intelligent, the most skilled, those with the highest potential have the highest um, probability of falling into a pride cycle that will lead to self-destruction. That, to me, is the thematic core of the Silmarillion. You see it in Melkor, you see it in the Noldor, in Fëanor specifically, you see it in King Thingol, you see it in, like, all these different elves in the story that rise to prominence, <clears throat> obtain power and uh, wealth and abundance, and it is all taken away because they're too prideful to freaking, like, not accept or, or, or to, to not give away control or whatever it may be. I mean, yeah. every single story encapsulates that in some way. So to me, the Silmarillion's pacing is perfect, even though it's slow, because it is always tethered to that thematic core. Whereas Crime and Punishment to me wasn't always. Someone mm-hmm. could make an argument that it was and tell me there's more than one theme. I, I'd be open to hearing that. But that's just how I felt on my read through. So to me, good pacing indicates less about the speed in which the story's moving and more about the relevance of the scene. To the theme and the fact that you need that context for the climax to have maximum impact,
1: hmm. right? Yeah.
0: Um, Banana Slama says Godfather has slower pacing, but it's fantastic. That's another great example of a movie. It's very slow paced, but very good. Yeah, very good. Slowly establishing the politics of the family and characterizing the family are things that shouldn't be glossed over. The slower pacing accents Michael Corleone's arc when comparing him in part two to him at the wedding in the first film. Absolutely. Because, again, every scene in that movie, I think, is tethered to this arc of the fall of this character. Like, the character having the American dream at the center of what he wants to be. He's a... He's a I don't know if he's a Marine or if he's coming from the Army. Anyways, he was in the military... You know, wanted to get away from the family's uh, yeah. crime syndicate, but just was roped into it and just devolved into this villainous character. And every scene, if you watch that, is necessary. I feel for for that story to work. There's, and while the movie is very slow, well,
1: because it all points to the, ultimately to the climax.
0: Yes. At the end of the film.
1: So it may seem irrelevant, but it's building up this character towards a decision that he doesn't want to have to make.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's not about it's, Again, this is depending on genre. The Godfather is a drama. It's not an action movie. <laughs> so the fact that we don't have tons of action scenes in the Godfather doesn't, <laughs> exactly. mean, doesn't mean that the story has bad pacing. It's just not an action story. So, all of the tension, all of the engagement from the viewer comes from the dramatic buildup, the tension between the characters and the family and the stakes being really high, even though we don't have any car chases and and shootouts and explosions in the movie, right? I mean, there are definitely a couple shootouts, but you know what I mean. So pacing is more tied to how can you engage the viewer, reader, whatever, player, uh, build tension based on the expectation of the genre conventions, the audience that you're trying to reach, the platform and the, the medium in which it's being delivered. But most importantly, through having some kind of upward momentum where you're creating a sense of contrast throughout it so that you're not desensitizing your viewer to the point where they think, all the high tension, the action is, um, yeah, Cason says there's a storm here. I don't think I'm going to be much use anymore. All good. I'll tell him all good. All good. I'm wrapping up anyway. Okay. So those are my thoughts on pacing and it's pretty general. It's pretty vague way of looking at it. Because there really just are so many examples of how to do what would maybe be seen as conventionally slow pacing really well. I think that 2001, A Space Odyssey, is a great example of breaking the conventions of pacing, doing something that would seem on the outside like really bad pacing, but it isn't. I think it's paced exactly the way it needs to be because it's not a conventional film. And uh, it's meant to make you sort of like think outside the box uh, because the movie was made outside the box. I think The Godfather is a great example of a a slowly paced film that is always tethered to its thematic core so it works. At the same time, you can have like the opposite end of pacing because another thing you don't want to have happen is for your story to resolve or come to an end and for to have your audience go, wait, that's it? That means that you've paced it too fast. <laughs> if, if you resolve the story, the story comes to an end and your audience is going, wait, that's all? Wait, that's it? Like That means that you didn't deliver all the context, you didn't resolve it <laughs> the way that was satisfying, and people are feeling that like they're missing something. I think that that can tend to be an indication that you've, you've gone to the opposite end and you've paced the story too fast for what was needed for it to be satisfying um ninjitsu kid says final fantasy tactics usually has good pacing but misses sometimes um be interesting to have a further conversation on that i thought i thought final fantasy tactics pacing was great but uh, it would be interesting to see what what you thought was missing there we have Crescenta here even if the godfather is slow i think it still gives out new plot relevant information at a brisk pace which is why despite the long distance between the big peaks so many people get hooked when sitting down with that film. Um Liquid Sword says Final Fantasy Tactics had legendary pacing in the first part of the game. The beginning of the game is really good and that's kind of um that's kind of a commonality with that director, Yasumi Matsuno. I think that the pacing of Final Fantasy Tactics is amazing. The pacing of um vagrant story is really good especially the beginning it really hooks you at the start right i think he's really good at that as a whole uh banana slamming says i think the argument is valid and often can be overlooked because of de niro and pacino and everything else definitely by the third while not the exact same it was more egregious in the redundancy oh talking about um godfather part (laughs) three Uh, paradise says 12 has a dope beginning too i agree with that actually recently on twitter had a bit of a debate with um with somebody over that fact because i think the beginning of 12 is really well paced and it's really well done and he was you know saying that uh he didn't like it at all um didn't feel like he understood who were following or why the characters are important or what the plights are but i i think ff12's intro is really good personally um, Swan Knight says slow isn't bad and fast isn't good. Some stories serve themselves better with faster pacing, while others benefit from slower pacing. Absolutely correct. So, anyways, um that's kind of the end of um today's discussion. Uh I didn't receive any um community stories this week. So um I don't really have anything to show there. So that's gonna be the end of this week's podcast. Thank you everybody for joining and um, appreciate you supporting the channel appreciate your comments and your participation in the chat let me know what your thoughts are on pacing again when i was kind of doing my research for this week i felt um like i was not like arriving at any kind of concrete answer and i think it's because pacing really is a super subjective topic like it's really hard to nail down like a formula for what is good and what is bad pacing because and i mean i've been having this experience with so many viewers where we just disagree on the pacing being right or not for a story and uh you know these are all intelligent people who i agree with on a lot of things and on this particular thing about pacing for some reason it's just harder to find like a A concrete answer that that is right for most people you know have a consensus about what indicates good pacing so uh for example i'm not a fan of persona persona the series persona i'm not a fan of the pacing in those and a lot of people love them uh let's see miss Monet, not a community story but esports is now an official high school sport in some american schools that's crazy that is crazy Chris Ewan says, it's easier to talk about this stuff if you just assume that your own opinions are the objective truth and go from there. <laughs> I try not to do that, which is what makes it hard. Correct. Uh, Chai Guy, Persona 3 and 4 had slow beginning pacing. Persona 5 started in media res and had a lot of switches between present and past, not something easily done right. That is a way, because you want to hook people from the start. I think the earlier Persona games, had they didn't have a strong hook, and Persona 5 tried to do that. But at least from what I've heard, because I haven't played Persona 5, it still does slow down really, really hard after that initial uh, in-medius-res sequence. Ninjitsu Kid says, games specifically make this hard. You need to bounce pacing of gameplay, too. Yeah, my, like, unwritten rule, my, like, completely subjective rule for video game pacing is I need to be playing the game before the one-hour mark. If I am watching cutscenes or just dialogue and just running from point A to B, I'm not, like, playing, interacting with the game, and we've gone beyond an hour, that's too long. Of course, there's probably examples out there, outliers or whatever, but that's generally how I feel. Sure, for a complex RPG, there's a lot of stuff to introduce. There's a lot of tutorials you're going to have to get through to really understand the mechanics. But I feel like I should be playing the game within hopefully half an hour definitely before an hour has passed ideally within 10 minutes but if if there's really a lot of context that's needed I, I i can wait a little longer but don't make me wait longer than an hour and especially don't make me wait three hours to play the game persona four <laughs> um uh miss when says pacing deals a lot with uh the times we live in a fast-paced, distracted world, and so I believe pacing in all movies is sped up to keep their limited attention. I think that's true uh, in the sense, especially with um, streaming and and, and uh, a lot of the media we consume being done on our, our mobile phones when we're in between tasks, while we're commuting, or while we're waiting in line, or while we're eating lunch, or um, whatever. We have a few minutes to sort of just occupy our mind with something, and so pacing has definitely increased with attention span and with expectations like a youtube videos pacing is going to be a lot different in terms of how quickly you need to hook people and keep their attention than a film is you have a much shorter space to make sure you hook someone otherwise they'll click away and you got to keep their you got to keep the the medium a little shorter because often they're not sitting down prepared to consume something for a couple hours they're usually on the go You know, like, the thing in their hand, I just want to watch something real quick while I'm waiting for something to happen. And so you need to hook them and and get to the point more quickly. So that's definitely true. Definitely true. Um, Liquid Sword says, Persona 5's pacing started off good, but they dragged out the who is the mysterious master Persona user in the metaverse for way too long. Uh, Wish I could comment on that. Haven't played the game. But um, I believe you. Because I know Persona pacing. Um, We have Jonah, uh, the man, who says, Resident Evil 4 and Rainbow Six Siege have some of the best pacing I've ever seen in a game, which is why I find them so hard to stop playing. I totally agree on Resident Evil 4. I haven't played Rainbow Six, uh, Six Siege, but Resident Evil 4, like I was talking about with the graph that goes up and down, what it does really well is it builds tension and then it releases the tension, and it builds tension and releases it so that the game almost always feels good like it's, it's a horror game and, and and scary horror games are uncomfortable by nature but i just don't want to put it down because it does such a good job of building that tension i feel scared and then it releases it and i have time to the contrast between the two things can keep me going i can take a breath i can calm down i can set myself up increase or, or um uh mod mod the guns uh what do they call that upgrade you know do by upgrading and and do a little bit of exploring and finding secrets that's a big part of resident evil 4 is all the secrets you can find in the environments they have great pacing between the two that releases the tension and lets you kind of like work up to the next section so i love resident evil 4 for that reason uh Chrisina says i often watch twitter while watching tv series it helps the pacing <laughs> nice Um, okay, I'll read a couple more here. You can add Resident Evil uh, HD remake to that list. Yeah, I should replay the HD remakes of the old Resident Evil games. That's something I've wanted to do for a while. Um, Ninjutsu Kid says, Dark Souls tends to use pacing as a way to manipulate the player into messing up, as anyone who's died a ton in one knows. That's a good point. Um, and Miss Monet says it's strange though, because I feel like even two hour cinemas have sped up their pacing. They want to get to the action faster. So they quickly push through character development or relationship building. I think that, and I've talked about that a little bit with blockbuster movies. I mean, the big, the biggest hits of the year usually are the summer blockbusters, the Avengers and the superhero movies and the action movies. I feel like those movies have definitely changed in terms of their pacing, uh, since like when i was growing up 80s and 90s uh where there was again generally speaking this is not like a hard rule there were generally like three big set action pieces in the movie one at the beginning one in the middle and then the really big one at the end and in between those three big set pieces big action sets you had lots of character and with action movies and big blockbusters today, I feel like they have a quota more of like five big action scenes, sometimes six or more. And so the movies are the same length, but they're dedicating more time to a greater number of action sequences. And so the time dedicated for character has become shorter. It's shrunk a lot. And so I think we're not getting as much good character work in big blockbusters today as we used to. Um, Again, there are examples to the contrary. I'm not saying that's true of all movies from the past and all movies today. But if you're go, if you going to, to the movie theater just to see those big blockbuster movies, that's what you would see. But I still think there are lots of movies coming out um, that don't follow that structure, that do great character work. And, uh, you know, uh, Chrissy and I went and saw um, A Star Is Born recently when that was in theaters. And obviously that movie is not going to be structured with five or six great big action sequences like an Avengers movie would be. Right. And so it does more character work. And so I just think that, um, it's that sector of Hollywood that is, uh, really speeding up the pace and trying to ramp up the action and make it bigger and more bombastic every time. But there are still a lot of great films being made that do great character work. So, um, when I, are older movies really slow or have we as a society just become way too impatient? That's a whole podcast topic unto itself. <laughs> uh, Chris Ewan says, Pixar movies often have slower pacing and world building. Everyone and everyone loves them. That's very true. Um, Pixar, I think, is the kind of pinnacle example of following a formula to the T. They have... A formula down they always follow it and they always execute on that same formula with perfection and uh the movies don't feel formulaic because the concepts the the story ideas the premises of those plots are really creative but in terms of the delivery when you really break down pixar movies they all follow the same beats they all follow the same about amount of time given to things (laughs) uh they really kind of perfected a formula that really works with people right the storytelling arc like i have up there in our logo they perfected that and uh they they really understand good pacing <clears throat> john uh jonah the man says unrelated but there's a mod for final fantasy 7 in the works that will add voice acting to the game i don't know if i like that but i will look into it thank you for um leaving the link anyways that is the end of today's podcast thank you everyone for tuning in i think i already said this once and then i kept talking but we are really done now appreciate your support of the channel um tomorrow morning i will be releasing my uh terranigma retrospective review so look for that if you're watching this on youtube on wednesday or if you're listening to it audio only on wednesday go and check out um our resonant arc channel Uh, the main channel uh, because I have a new video up and um, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I'm gonna go do a little bit of work on it right now. There's one thing I need to change but um, otherwise uh, it turned out pretty good. So you guys are beasts. Thank you for watching. Beasts and beastettes. I I tend to not include the 1% of you that are women who watch the channel. (laughs) But you're all beasts. Thank you for watching. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll see you again soon. Peace out.